welcome to the Brain for Business, Brain for Life podcast with me, Lawrence Snell, where we take the lessons from evidence-based academic research, most particularly involving the brain and behavioral sciences, and translate them in a way that is accessible for leaders and organizations. I'm delighted to welcome to this episode of Brain for Business, Brain for Life, Professor Ian McCarthy. Ian McCarthy is the W.J. Van Dusen Professor of Innovation and Operations Management at Simon Fraser University in Vancouver, Canada, and a professor at the Luis Research Center in Leadership, Innovation and Organization in Rome, Italy. Professor McCarthy's research and teaching focus on operations management, change and innovation management and social media, and his research has been published in many top academic journals and publications. He is also the director of the CPA Innovation Centre at the Beattie School of Business, also at Simon Fraser University. Ian, it's great to speak to you. Hi, Lawrence. Thanks for inviting me. It's a pleasure. So, you know, in a recent article, you and your colleagues argued that many organisations are drowning in a flood of corporate bullshit. And this is particularly true of organisations in trouble, whose managers tend to make stuff up on the fly and with little regard for future consequences. Perhaps you might start by telling us what is bullshit in a corporate sense? So bullshit uh, in its simplest sense is simply an act of communicating, but it's, it's an act of communicating where the person communicating has no regard for the truth. They're basically making stuff up and they can be doing that knowingly or unknowingly. Uh, it basically means that they are making statements which can be written, verbal, graphical, and and, they, and they're not grounded in any sort of evidence. It's almost like an opinion, it's a hypothesis which is presented as being a truth. And most importantly, sometimes can actually turn out to be true. And this is why bullshit can be dangerous, because bullshit sometimes can turn out to be true, even though you didn't know what you were saying or have any evidence for what you were saying. And so why do people do it then? Is it about deception? Is it about wishful thinking? Is it about something else altogether? I would say um, they do it for a number of reasons. Uh, one, one of the reasons is that people don't like to say, I don't know. Um, the other reasons are, you know, people have agendas where they want to persuade people of things they want to convince people of things and so they can make facts up or make uh, uh, logic up and and try to persuade and press uh, sometimes do it people do it because they want to fit in and they want to seem like they're part of a in-group uh, sometimes it's done for uh, evasive reasons um, you you know you you don't want to incur some sort of negative social cost or some sort of negative outcome in terms of being questioned. And and often when you say, you know, people's unwillingness to say, I don't know, that's part of that, you know, evasiveness rather than appearing to be, you know, uh, uninformed or, you know, not appropriate to be at a meeting, you know, you will say stuff um, because you want to evade uh, the negative social costs of saying I don't know or not having something to say so you just say something so it's all about agendas persuading evading um, there are also um, you know more 
harmless forms of uh, bullshit which we'll get onto but in the workplace it's largely to do with uh, some sort of persuasiveness agenda or evasiveness agenda well, what then would be perhaps some of those uh, more harmless forms of of, uh, of bullshit is it perhaps those little white lies that we might all tell in a in a normal uh, human interaction just to keep things smoothly working along i would say i mean you know even even in the most professional, straight, formal organisations, there's still social settings and colleagues like to tease and joke and make fun. And so, you know, there's bullshitting where, which takes place in that context where you're, 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 you're teasing people, you're joking, you're, you're trying to be funny. And, and in most cases, um, you know, it's important that they, that, when you're communicating that, that it's apparent, you know, that, you know, you're, you're making stuff up because you want to, you know, gently troll somebody, you want to gently joke somebody, but it's not, it's not going to materialize into, a, you know, a, a, a massive decision for the organization, which has consequences. It's not bullying. It's not, um, you know, it's, it's, it's done to, in terms of the sort of social fabric of life. You know, imagine, you know, moving outside the workplace when you go into a pub and people talk about football or, uh, or other sports or on fishing trips and people talk about, you know, fish that they've caught. Uh, this is sort of the fabric of social life and it's, and, and, it's, and it's different than when you're making, you know, business decisions that should be evidence-based um, as opposed to sort of entertaining each other with social or artisanal bullshitting. You've kind of mentioned a few sort of general examples there in context, but if we think about, you know, some of the, the, the really big, perhaps public examples of, of bullshit that have been out there, are there any that you can sort of tell us about or remind us of that perhaps people have, have seen in the, on the press or, or, or otherwise? A very famous one by somebody who is famous in terms of being held for this sort of communication act was in 2018, US President Donald Trump was having a meeting with Justin Trudeau, the Canadian Prime Minister. And it was a meeting largely about, you know, trade agreements between the two countries. And in that meeting, um, President Trump said, told the Canadian Prime Minister that the United States had a trade deficit with Canada. And he did that because there was an agenda and he did that because that was part of the but he later admitted that he had absolutely no idea whether there was a deficit or not he had no idea he would he just it was just important for his conversation to hold justin to account and say oh yes you know uh, the us has a trade deficit with canada and his admission that he was bullshitting gives him the freedom to you know, direct a conversation to direct a negotiation, however, however they want, because they have they have this freedom because it's not grounded in truth. If you're not actually, you know, guided by the facts about what the deficit is, is there one? What the size is? Is it going up or is it going down? It gives you complete freedom to say whatever you want uh, in those negotiations. And so this distinction between bullshit, which is, you know, you have no regard from the the truth for the truth and lying is when is when you do know what the deficit is or isn't that's lying and when you make a statement which is counter to that but 
President uh, Trump said that he he knew that he didn't know, <laughs> you know, and so he wasn't lying. He was bullshitting because he had no idea, and so it's, you can reveal or challenge a lie by presenting truth. Um, but if people are just making up statements for which there is no evidence at all, or even it's a bit more complicated and it gives the bullshitter a lot more freedoms to manoeuvre and improvise on the fly um, and, and in terms of going, as I said, as I said when we started, it's, it's literally making stuff up. There's a lot of improvisation which happens. And I'm guessing in that particular context, there's an extent to which even if Prime Minister Trudeau knew that factually this was incorrect, it's very hard to come back and re-anchor the conversation or, or even a negotiation when you've been presented with what seems like an immutable truth from the other side of the conversation, in this case by uh, then-President Donald Trump. Absolutely. And, you know, and these discussions and, you know, often take place in the media and, it, and it's about, you know, not necessarily reporting to Justin Trudeau or your person that you're reporting with or having a negotiation with. It's what you signal to the rest of the world and, and that gets picked up on and that gets, and that's really hard to put back in the bottle once it's broadcast. This, you know, um, you know, uh, act of bullshit is broadcast you know, because um, bullshit is often designed to be appealing, agenda-serving, and persuasive. And it's not necessarily appealing and gen uh, persuasive to um, Justin Trudeau, but it's appealing to the supporters of the person who's doing the negotiation. And once that's released, it becomes very hard to undo. Is there a challenge then as well? And I'm not just thinking about Donald Trump here, but I guess that's an example where if if a leader or a person who has a position of power makes comments which are uh, potentially or, or clearly bullshit, the people who look up to them, the people who follow them will simply latch onto that and accept that as the truth without necessarily interrogating it or thinking critically. And that can then have subsequent consequences for how events unfold or actions that are taken. Absolutely. I mean, if you look at uh, leaders generally, look at leaders at the moment, look at you know the uh, the outgoing U.S. president. You know, people they we in our paper we present a framework for dealing with bullshit, and one of the steps of it is how you act, and one of the acts is loyalty. You know, you, uh, you're loyal to the bullshit uh, either because you generally believe it or just because it serves your agenda to be loyal to it. Um, you may voice against it. You may say, no, that's not true. Or can you prove that? And there can be consequences for doing that in different, you know, and in some organizational settings, you may be fired or let go and or you may be ostracized or... Other organizational settings may encourage people to voice up and confront um, uh, bullshit and other forms of mis misinformation. Uh, other people themselves, they might not get fired, but they exit, they escape. They either, within the organization, they decide to just do the equivalent of hiding or move to a different unit or a different department because they don't want to work with that leader. They don't want to, they can't stomach 
it and they don't and they don't feel they can voice against it and so they either leave the organization completely or go to a different part of the organization and i would imagine that they don't have any evidence for this but the other one is sort of you know um disengaging you 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 stay within the organization you stay with the leader but you just disengage and you do your time and you wait till that leader changes in terms of going forwards and so there are these different responses and you can see look at the turnover in the sort of um, recent US government um, in, over time uh, in terms of people who may have voiced or been loyal or d decided themselves to exit you know it, it happens not just in government organizations but it happens in you know businesses and companies and universities it happens in all organizations it's just where the extent to which you exit I escape the extent to which you voice you confront the bullshit or the extent to which you're loyal and you're accepting of it and you reinforce it and you reshare it or the extent to which you sort of neglect the organization and just disengage from the bullshit that's flowing through it it, it sounds to me like it, it's almost when we talk about bullshit that a confluence of organizational culture of leadership of uh, of bias, particularly things like confirmation bias and groupthink, all of these things perhaps coming together to form this very, very difficult context that, as you describe it, you either accept and work with or you get ejected from the, the, the environment. Is that a fair assessment? Yeah, I would say different organisations, different units within the organisations have different cultures in terms of their expectations about being evidence-based. You know, this podcast opens up by saying it, it's, it, it's about being evidence-based in, in terms of reporting research uh, in a digestible way to the broader public, but it's evidence-based insights about the, the world and the organisations within that world. And so I would say different organizations, maybe even different organizations in different parts of the world and different units within the organization have different uh, cultures and appetites for uh, expecting and adhering to evidence within their organizations. So does that suggest then that if, if some units within organizations are perhaps more, I don't know, prone to it, does that also, if we take a step up, suggest that some organizations themselves and some contexts are more prone to organizational bullshit or to, to bullshit more generally that, than others? I would say yes. Um, but if I gave you a non-bullshit answer, I would say yes, but there is, it's, it's an assumption. It's, 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 um, I can provide logic for it. I could provide... But there, I can't provide much in the way of empirical evidence. So I would say the organizational units of marketing and sales and PR, if you were to go around with a bullshit detector, you'll probably find there would be a good hypothesis to say that they, they, they're probably more riddled with and flowing with statements of bullshit relative to engineering and accounting. Um, and... And so that would be the mindsets of the individuals that work there, the training that happens there. I would say that entrepreneurs, many entrepreneurs, not all entrepreneurs, but the, but the sort of domain of entrepreneurship, because it's dealing often with uncertainty and ambiguity, 
Uh, it's all about pitching and selling. Uh, I would say that there's an awful lot of bullshit which flows in, in that culture as well. Um, and I could support that sort of hypothesis with sort of, you know, uh, accounts and anecdotes, but n not super hard empirical evidence where it's been proved. And, and I think this is where this field is going, this, this field of studying bullshit in society, in the workplace. It's, the way it's going is to try and work out to what extent it's more prolific or abundant in certain parts of society than other parts. And, and then also to, to assess how damaging it is or not. Uh, in, 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 most people would assume that bullshit is, is negative and, and, and is a bad thing, but is that always the case? Um, and, so, um, and so there's lots of um, conjecture around this, but there's not, not a lot of empirical evidence at the moment. And I think, I think that's going to come. And, and there is, there's a lot of people in psychology who are doing a lot of really good empirical work trying to understand to what extent people are receptive or not to bullshitter. Can, uh, really good studies looking at can you bullshit a bullshitter? Can you actually do that? You know, and, and understanding the sort of rise and, uh, and sort of spread of it in different aspects of society. So we're, we're learning more and more. So over time, we will better understand the bullshit and, and, and where it's there. A lot of the examples that we've talked about so far have been quite modern. But has bullshit always been there? My gut feeling, uh, for what it's worth, is that there's always been a degree of bullshit in, in the world and in organisations, and maybe that's a matter of perception about the, the, state, the statement that's being made. What would you think about that? So if I take your answer as stated and give you a non-bullshit answer to that question. So if I take your question as stated and, and give you a non-bullshit answer to that question, which was, you know, has it always existed? The answer is I don't know. But what I do know is that it's probably, it has existed as long as I can remember. And, but I have no idea if it existed in Stone Age times or Middle Age times. I imagine that it existed in Victorian times. Um, and I also don't know to what extent it's become more prevalent or not over time. Um, but, you know, I, I know that in my lifespan, I, I have been guilty of bullshitting and, and guilty of actually consuming bullshit. And so I would imagine it's been around for hundreds of years, uh, but I don't know if it's been around forever. And that would be interesting to know when it actually s sort of first emerged. And again, you know, I, sort of things that academics would study to understand to what extent it's increased or decreased over time within different parts of society. Because I'm thinking, uh, just as you're talking and staying perhaps with the, the American president theme, John F. Kennedy quite famously talked about you know, putting, putting a man on the moon. Now, that was seen at the time and, and is perhaps seen now as a as a, a noble aim and, and a, you know one of those big, hairy, audacious goals as a become known in, in uh, the, the world of business speak. But that could easily have also been perceived as, you know, just just bullshit if he hadn't have been able to at least take some steps to progress that plan and that vision. So maybe it, it's also a matter of perception about how these things are viewed. Yeah, I mean, there is statements of intent, which may or may not be grounded in bullshit. I mean, if you make a statement of intent, you work very, very, very 
hard and purposefully and allocate resources to achieve that but don't succeed it doesn't necessarily mean it's bullshit it just means that you didn't didn't succeed and i think that's one of coming back to entrepreneurship and sort of um very innovative projects you know um to what extent are you hearing statements of intent which have some substance or whether they're complete fantasy and and they're just bs to um you know to obfuscate and to distract because there's another agenda going on or if but if the agenda is really to pursue this and and you know lots of statements are made to motivate to uh, unite and and they have some substance then i would say that you know while they it wouldn't be necessarily completely bullshit free it would be it would be an act of communicating which was purposeful and appropriate for that aim but if you're just making stuff up uh because there's a, a, a another agenda completely and you have no intention of doing things um you know so you're you know you're you're going to build a wall and get another country to pay for it and to what extent was that a a a a, a real initiative and to regardless of whether it happened or not to what extent was it a real initiative and th- and then that's that's the uh, that's a sort of test i would suggest and the the entrepreneurial example you give there uh, you, it brings to mind that that case when people perhaps appear on a show like i think it's called shark tank in the us i'm not sure if there's a similar version in canada or, or dragon's den in in the uk and ireland where an entrepreneur goes on to pitch to a, a group of um, a group of potential investors, and you hear sometimes people coming up with ridiculous valuations and ridiculous uh, expected turnover, and and they're immediately picked out as as bullshitting because they they just don't know. They're throwing numbers out to sound good, but they don't know, and 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 it, it stands out a mile in that context. Yeah, I'd imagine in that context, you know, when you're asked questions and asked to explain things, you know. Yes, there's some improvisation going up, going on, and it's and it's how you improvise. Do you improvise in a sort of authentic way where you reveal what you know and what you don't know, and this is your answer, or are you just making stuff up completely? And um, and investors are very good at sort of sniffing that out you know they they want they want to invest in people that they believe in and they and that and that they trust and so sometimes it's better to say i don't know um you know or or if you give an answer you give it with caveats about what you have confidence in and what you don't have confidence in and i think that goes a lot uh, a long way to building trust and connections and even investment partnerships with um investors Okay, interesting. So if we take that then, and, and you mentioned there, you know, sometimes saying, I don't know, or, or adding in caveats about what you do, or, or you don't reasonably know, how should, how should we deal with, with bullshit? In particular, you know, how should organizations deal with bullshit? Are there particular approaches that can be taken to perhaps inoculate ourselves against it? In the work that you mentioned at the start of this podcast, you know, we produced this paper where we offered this framework which we aptly called the framework the crap framework because it has uh, uh, four stages to it which um, give advice guidance on how you should deal with 
bullshit in the workplace and society. And, and the C in crap stands for comprehend, the R for recognize, the A for act, and P for prevent. And so the first step, comprehend, is really about understanding that bullshitting is different from lying. Um, and, and that many people can unknowingly bullshit and therefore you should be helping them and mentoring them they might be bullshitting because they're just overworked they're not properly trained they're not properly supported and then there are people who are knowingly bullshitting in a sort of machiavellian way and how you respond to those people is slightly different and so if you think about bullshitting as just as being lying it you tend to have a more black and white reaction to it but bullshitting is you know, a bit more colourful than this in terms of its range of what it can be and what it can't be. Why are they doing it? Who's who's doing it and why are they doing it? And and then once you understand that distinction, then it's easier for you to recognise it. First of all, you should expect it. You know, I, I don't. I think there's very few places in the world, and again, I'm just assuming this. I don't. There are very few places where that are bullshit free, so you should expect it. Uh, and you should be looking for statements that are sort of abstract, riddled with acronyms, jargon, lack logic, um, lack any sort of critical self-assessment. And again, understand why is someone saying this? Uh, you know, what are they trying to persuade or evade in the statement? And then once you've got those two statements, then, it, then it's up to you in terms of how you act. You know, can you exit, you know, because you don't want to work there anymore? Do you work in a place where you can voice and you can say, yeah, can you, can you prove that? Can you, can you give me some evidence for that? You know, what's your sources for that? Um, can you challenge it? Um, but not all places allow that, you know, and, uh, and if you're a leader, you may want to allow more of that and understand what comes with that when you do this. Uh, what? What happens in terms of being loyal, you know, in terms of being loyal to bullshit and bullshitters, um, you know, in terms of, you know, understanding your role in them in terms of pushing it and flowing it through the organization and then understand to what extent why people don't turn up, why people don't say anything, why people disengage uh, because uh, they probably feel they don't want to leave or they can't leave or they're happy just to keep their head down and they don't see any point in voicing up they only see negative actions from voicing and they certainly don't want to be loyal to it and then the fast the, the final one is then you know what do you as an employee or a leader do to prevent any sort of bullshit producing in the first place which is well do you have a culture of valuing sort of expertise over um, egalitarianism you know does you know um, does everybody have a voice think about crowdsourcing think about opening things up and giving people think about democracy to a certain extent you know uh, think about voting um, you know if everybody has an equal voice um, just because they have an opinion um, think about brexit think about you know uh, to what extent Brexit was voted on based on evidence and known outcomes or, or to what extent it was uh, a vote that passed because of passion and beliefs and emotions. Um, do you have an organisation that encourages critical thinking, that prevents jargon, uh, that 
wants statistical clarity rather than statistical trickery. You know, um, you know, how do you communicate? What are your expectations about communicating? And these are the, the sort of four stages of the CRAP framework. Comprehend, recognize, act and prevent. We also outline a whole number of sort of do's and don'ts, you know, which, which go along with that, you know, which is, again, don't confuse bullshitting with lying because how you respond is very, very differently. Don't, and don't forget that bullshit can sometimes be uh, true and is nearly always appealing. It's, about, it's appealing to certain, it's done to be appealing to certain people, not all people, but to certain people. Uh, don't be afraid to say, I don't know, I don't understand, you know, and again, do call for, for logic and evidence if you have an organization which allows you to voice and if you don't have an organization that allows you to voice or if you're a leader that doesn't encourage voicing why not in terms of going forward so these are these are some of the sort of tips we put forward and many of those tips are drawn from other areas of management and and in particular you know the the field of evidence-based management uh, which asks people to sort of stand up for and provide evidence behind their decisions their opinions and their hypotheses okay so the the, the crap framework is is the way to go when when dealing with uh, organizational bullshit as you said quite an apt uh, a acronym as a final question then what advice would you have based on on your your research for leaders who are perhaps tempted to bullshit? Should they do it or should they not? I would say, personally, they shouldn't be doing it in a context where the outcomes are going to be negative. And they should feel free to do it in contexts where they provide caveats that it's a social reason, it's an innovative reason, it's a, a creative reason. And so generally, you know, um, you will get caught out, you will get found out. And, it, and we know that leaders, you know, their ability, it depends on different contexts. You know, most leaders, you know, it depends if you're in a context where it's very authoritarian, there's no choice, no one's going to challenge you. But most leaders, you know, their ability to persuade, their ability to lead is based on their halo. And their halo is based on their sort of reputation and experiences. And if you're damaging that halo because you're bullshitting too much in the wrong context, then it's going to impact your ability to persuade and lead. Um, if you're doing it in a uh, a joking, teasing way in the right context, in the right context for fun, for entertainment, and people know that. But you know, but sometimes that can go wrong too. Um, you know, um, I think it's less damaging and less problematic. But on the whole, I would say, you know, we we need we need more authentic and transparent leaders on the whole, um, and and we need them particularly in. Um, and thankfully, I believe we have them in most cases, but we need them particularly in the cases like in terms of healthcare and pharmaceuticals, uh, where, 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 you know, if you make wrong decisions along those lines, uh, or, or you lead and persuade without evidence, uh, the outcomes can be very, uh, very tragic. Whereas, you know, in entertainment, maybe communications, politics, you know, it's, it's still much more acceptable.
when I said acceptable, I don't, I, I didn't mean that in politics it's acceptable to bullshit, but it's still, it's it still happens more and more, and it seems to be less damaging to leaders in, in, in that particular environment. But on the whole, women most walks of society, you know, I, I believe, and I think there is, you know, a lot of associated evidence that, you know, authentic leaders will, uh, you know, have better reputations, they will have better levels of trust, better levels to ability, uh, to um, persuade people. Uh, you know, if you err on the side of authenticity and where appropriate saying, I don't know, as opposed to just making stuff up all the time. Okay, excellent. Professor Ian McCarthy, thank you very much for your uh, bullshit-free insights. My pleasure, Lawrence, thank you. Our theme song, La La Song, Electronic Beat Time, and Dream Sequence by Lorenzo's Music is licensed under an attribution, share, and share alike license.